Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. We've got a lot to get through this week. Let's get started. Matt Walsh and the fraud that is the transgender industry. If you listen to Matt Walsh, this will be familiar to you, but many of you don't. This is one of the most important things I have seen coming out in terms of exposing what actually goes on behind the scenes in so-called transgender medicine as compared to the claims that we've been told for a long time. We give you the synopsis, then we're going to go through Matt's Twitter feed. We're going to go through some videos. Matt's producer, a man named Greg, posed undercover as a so-called trans woman. He made no attempt at all to appear to be a woman in dress, makeup, manner, or anything. No acting at all. Full-on dude. He explicitly said during a telehealth conference with a nurse practitioner, Matt's producer, Greg, the undercover guy, explicitly said he did not have gender dysphoria. Not. Please keep that in mind. He made an appointment with a service called Plume. This is one of those telehealth services for trans people that it's a, it's a letter writing mill. They, they write the letters so that the surgeon will cut your balls off. Literally, this is what we're going to see. We'll start out with some of what Matt had to say to set this up on Twitter. Quote, first some background. Ari Groner, and this is the person you're going to see in the upcoming video. Ari Groner is a licensed clinical social worker who educates doctors on trans health care. At a recent training session for the Juniper Center, Groner explained that she writes whatever letters her patients want because she's not a gatekeeper. Let's take a listen to just a little bit of Ari's presentation. Any psych history that might be helpful to sort of showing the necessity. So if let's say a client has a psych history that includes like suicidal ideation or a suicide attempt, and you can connect it to the gender dysphoria, that actually can be sort of a, a positive persuasive essay piece. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, Cause you can kind of show what this is so necessary, right? This is how this is impacting this person's life. And this is why this procedure is necessary and, and needed. I have found that when I frame it in a, you know, we're going to kind of use this as a persuasive essay and we're going to really, you know, kind of stick it to them. There's, there's a little bit more fun with it in the way we even use language. So I found that to kind of be helpful with clients. She found that to kind of be helpful, you know, cause it's a persuasive essay and things we can play with language. Yeah. Um, what's going on here? training she's giving. She's teaching some people at some other care center, whatever the hell that means these days. It's probably a crematory. Um, how to write letters so that surgeons at major hospitals and insurance companies will pay for chopping off breasts, chopping off testicles, etc., etc. A persuasive essay, she says. Um, Ari has a little bit more for us in the next clip. And who's asking us to write these letters? So oftentimes we're, we're being asked by surgeons or physicians, but in reality, it's really for the insurance companies. Um, that's what the letters are really for. And I think that's important for us to keep in mind. 
we have to use the DSM in our letters for insurance company. So I'm not, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. As y'all can tell, I'm not like the biggest DSM fan. So I just think it's important to highlight because of this requirement. And this is something I'll explain to the client. So I'll talk about, you know, your insurance company is saying as, you know, or sort of a requirement for this letter for the surgery that you have to have this diagnosis. And, and we'll kind of talk about that. So knowing that this, you know, sort of American Psychological Association or DSM, there's this history of pathologizing and categorizing queer people as sort of sexual deviants, there is that minimal trust. So what I talk about is that we're using the diagnosis to ensure that clients get that necessary treatment. You hear the linguistic uniform, right? Y'all, y'all can tell I'm not a big fan of the DSM and ending every sentence in vocal fry. Linguistic uniforms. She's admitting right out, she has no compunction about this. She's not afraid to say this on camera. She's admitting they will simply create this fictitious gender dysphoria diagnosis because she's not a gatekeeper and people can access this needed care, right? So Matt Walsh also pointed out that another service similar to this called Folks, F-O-L-X, we featured them on the show before. They admit that they write letters for people who do not have gender dysphoria because, quote, insurance companies require them. They admit that they lie. Um, next, um, next clip, please, Kevin we sort of will go again into understanding that I'm not going to be a gatekeeper. I'm not going to be a person that's going to stop them from accessing care. I'm not there to determine if they're trans enough. I'm going to write them this letter. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've got a share song stuck in my head. Cause I'm trans enough. <laughs> oh my God. I'm not a gatekeeper. She says, I'm not going to judge if they're trans enough. The, remember how we've been told that no, oh no, no, no surgeons ever do anything this serious to somebody unless they've been through years of psychotherapy, they've been carefully observed by a psychiatric team, they've been evaluated, they go through a checklist, they have to live for two years in their gender identity. We're all told that, right? And a lot of people still believe it. There's no reason to believe, there was never any reason to believe it. It was never true. Except back in the days when it really was a very small proportion of the very sickest people who would even be considered for this. Um, speaking of folks, Matt put this on his Twitter as well. They're, they're brazen about it. So on your screen, insurance companies, letters, and diagnostic codes. Insurance companies usually require a medical diagnostic code for, quote, gender dysphoria in order to cover transition-related care as medically necessary. You may not fit this diagnostic code exactly, but in some cases the code is needed in order for insurers to pay for the surgery. So we'll just lie and scam them. We will diagnose you with a condition that you do not have because we want to make sure you can access the care. Very careful screening, very professional. No one's ever rushed into this. Another, uh, another bit from Folks's website. It's quite possible the information in a letter may not be specific to you. I'm quoting to you folks. I'm quoting to you from their own writing. It's quite possible 
The information in a letter may not be specific to you. For example, they may use a gender dysphoria diagnosis, but you really do not have dysphoria, even if you want top surgery. It's not a mental condition. Uh, it's a mental condition uh, as long as insurance companies have to pay for it. It's not a mental condition. It's a mental condition. You see, this is what lying gets you. This is all just lying. Lie, 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 lie. <laughs> so, Matt Walsh's team contacted folks to confirm that this is what they're doing. And, and how they did this, his producer, Greg, the one that we're going to see in a little bit, uh, talking to a nurse practitioner, Greg um, made himself a trans name, and his trans name is Chelsea Bussy. And if you're, I'm sorry to do this to you, it's vulgar. But if you're not familiar with that, Bussy is Gen Z speak for boy pussy. Mm-hmm. Boy pussy. Nobody picked up on it. Or maybe they thought it was very authentic. So Greg gets back this from folks. Hey, Chelsea. Thanks for reaching out. My name is Redacted. I'm one of the member navigators here at Folks. To answer your first question, yes, we provide letters of recommendation for gender-affirming aff surgeries and procedures. It's and this is full, you guys, this is full of little emojis, like a party emoji and a clappy heart heart. It's so heartwarming to hear that you are out and happy. To my understanding, the, quote, diagnosis of gender dysphoria has become a requirement to have gender-affirming procedures covered by your insurance, even though the diagnosis doesn't apply to all trans folks. If you would like to speak with a folks clinician in a one-time telehealth visit to discuss your questions and concerns. Yes, that was a sentence fragment. <laughs> Chelsea Bussey. Yeah. More from Matt Walsh. The largest trans healthcare provider in the U.S., Plume Clinic, runs a similar scam. They sell letters for $150 authorizing surgeries. That's how our producer, Greg, received approval for testicle removal after a 22-minute video call. Next quote. In his intake form with Plume, Greg provided a fake legal name. He said he had had dysphoria in the past but he stated he never experienced it for six months or more under the current version of the DSM-5 Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. That means he doesn't have gender dysphoria, and Matt is right. It, it requires it to persist for more than six months. Next one. But Plume quickly scheduled Greg for a video interview anyway. He assumed the identity Chelsea Bussey. He didn't even attempt to pass. He badly mispronounced the name of the surgery he wanted. He made it clear he didn't know what effect that surgery would have. Let's watch. Um, so you're currently on estrogen. You're taking six milligrams a day. Twice a day. Yeah, right, right, right. you got it. So you're taking um, 1.5 tablets yeah. today? Okay. Yeah. Um, and then, I guess, All right. Um, okay, so let's let's kind of get into this a little bit. So you are seeking what surgery? Things that things that are ir of course you probably don't know things that are irreversible when it comes to um, uh, estrogen based therapy is breast development and testicular shrinkage, right? But there's always a possibility for hair growth to come back. That may that may change an orchiectomy. 
once you stop, um, once you don't no longer have your testes, um, you no longer have the ability for your teeth to convert to BHT because you don't have as much teeth, right? So hair, hair growth, facial and body hair may change with after orchidity. Fat redistribution is affected by the estrogen. So you may have less of a change of fat redistribution if you ever stop E, but you may it may change as a whole. So it, it's it's kind of it's kind of um it kind of does have a benefit without the spironolactone, but you still want to take you still probably would definitely want to take estrogen. Mm. I'm not. I'm not complaining about the daily pills. Just to be clear, I'm complaining. I'm just saying, if it accelerates it, then it makes things faster. Then that's bad. Yeah. Once you no longer have your testes, it just rolls off the tongue. Let's go right into the next one, please, Kevin. Um, give me a little bit of history with your gender dysphoria. That may kind of help me. I want to. I want to make this letter as as solid as possible to be like this orgiastic definitely needed. I'll tell you, yeah, I'm happy to. So when I was I was in school and I actually uh, wrote a big essay um, for admission to a club about how I didn't feel like my biological sex went along with how I felt. And, and I told people that and they thought it was ridiculous. <laughs> so because they thought I just I just look like a guy. So they like this. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Did they think? <laughs> Yeah, I I got nothing. I got nothing. Uh, next one, please, Kevin. And your dad is the one that's doing a hormone replacement therapy for you. Yeah, so he's actually he's actually a doctor, and he knows a lot of doctors uh, who do it, uh, who who prescribe it. Perfect. And um, is is your dad providing a letter for you as well? No. Um, that's part of why I'm, I'm yeah, I, I think there's a conflict there. And that's also part of the reasons why he involves other doctors with me as well. Is he doesn't, he just thinks it's better to have an independent person do it. He could have done it. He told me he could have done it. But I said, yeah, it's better not to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I want to make this letter as strong as possible for you. This orchiectomy is necessary. Really. Do you feel confident in this? Does that seem like a professional medical conversation between a patient and a nurse practitioner? Or does it look like a woman who's sitting on her couch in Zoom who gets a commission for every one of these that she churns through? I know what it looks like to me. Um, Chelsea checked in by text and said, Hi, thanks for getting back to me. I was just saying I don't feel dysphoric right now, but it's okay to keep in the letter, right? Here's the response. Oh, okay. Well, the surgery is related to the gender dysphoria, which you are diagnosed with. Not true. It is controlled with hormone replacement therapy, misnomer. But in order for the surgery to be paid for a GCS, I, grammar as in the original, it will need to be related to your gender dysphoria, which you are diagnosed with. Again, not true. Does that make sense? Or is the orky not gender confirming? Or is the orky not gender confirming? The orky. <laughs> Darky, do you not find it gender confirming for you? Just tell me. I mean, everybody's different, right? Every woman, every being is different. <laughs> Another check-in. Chelsea says, just checking in on this to make sure this will be okay in the letter. I'm not really considering myself dysphoric. So wanted to check in on that one thing. Otherwise, letter looks great. T-Y exclam exclam. Response from the care coordinator, pronouns she, her, hers. 
Hi, Chelsea. This is Redacted, a care coordinator with Plume. I guess we're back on, yeah, we're with Plume. I will page your provider on this to see what she says. I know we write letters based on WPATH templates, but I can ask your provider if it's necessary to have it, and if not, perhaps it can be removed. As you know, we write letters based on WPATH templates. WPATH is the World Professional Association for Transgender Health. It is a group of lunatic advocates, several of whom are troons themselves, who have somehow cobbled together this ad hoc consortium of lunatic activists who lie. They, they just lie. They have become the standard just in their name. They are accepted now all across the country. The Mayo Clinic, Yale, Harvard, any of these big medical centers. WPATH, these are the professional standards. They're admitting that they write people letters based on the templates from this place. So Chelsea got her letter. Would you like to see it? I'm going to put it on the screen. You won't be able to read the whole thing. Uh, but it's very official looking. This is regarding Chelsea Bussey. To whom it may concern, Chelsea Bussey is a patient in my care at Plume Health. She's been a patient since blah, blah, blah. She identifies as a trans woman, uses she, her pronouns. This gender identity is well established. By my independent evaluation of Chelsea Bussey, she meets the criteria for gender dysphoria and then gives the international diagnostic code. She is identified as her affirmed gender for six years, has been living as or expressed her affirmed gender for over two years. They didn't do any of this. They didn't. They didn't make sure any of this happened. This is just a lie. Um, she reports, this is the worst part. She reports significant ongoing gender dysphoria. She is seeking orchiectomy. I'm sorry, I should have said that. This is testicular removal. It's cutting the balls off. To help alleviate gender dysphoria, and it is my professional opinion that she would benefit greatly, both medically and psychologically, from orchiectomy. Blah, blah, blah. Chelsea has met the WPATH criteria for gender dysphoria as an, and is an appropriate candidate for orchiectomy. So, in 22 minutes and a few texts with a nurse and a customer service representative, he's approved to get his balls cut off. And this is all official. You know what? It's happening to a friend, too. Before we go to the break here, I want to show this to you. This is a letter that a friend, a man who lives as a trans woman, yeah, believe it or not, I am able to actually have relationships with some people when they're not actually crazy and trying to tell me that I have to believe that there's something they're not, okay? This friend is concerned about estrogen and, and testosterone levels. This is a scan. I, blo I blocked out the doctor's name here. I'm going to read to you the letter he got from his doctor. Here are the blood test results. Your testosterone is not well suppressed and your estrogen level is below goal. This is different than the past. Had you taken estrogen on the day of the test, we cannot go higher on the dose. If we want to lower testosterone, we can consider removal of the testicles. Orchiectomy. Very glib, isn't it? All right, we got to go to break. Do me a favor. Sign up on Rumble. Make an account. Follow us on Rumble, please. We're going to be doing more Rumble exclusives. Go to rumble.com slash C slash disaffected. Thank you. Can't get enough of our love, baby? That's because you're not subscribed. 
move that thumb over to the great big old subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. We put out audio-only exclusive content that you won't get on any other video platform, so make sure you subscribe today. Looking for a non-woke place to put your money where your mouth is? Put it where my mouth is. Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more, and all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options. Either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com, or go over to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access. Welcome back. This episode is even more trans heavy than this show usually is. And as a reminder, especially for people who are new to the show, this show is not about trans, although uh, some people say that it is, especially people who dislike the show. This show is about cluster B personality disorders and cluster B abuse dynamics. You may know these by different terms. Domestic abuse, psychological abuse, emotional abuse, Cluster B personality disorders, narcissistic, borderline, histrionic, antisocial personality disorders, the kinds of psychological syndromes and character syndromes that, that, uh, that create domestic violence, child abuse, what we now call intimate partner violence. That's cluster B. That's what this show is about. And the reason why this show is so trans heavy is because the thesis of this show is that what used to be domestic abuse is now feral and public. And it's structuring all of our interactions, socially, business-wise, HR, economics, politics, corporations, products, movies, everything. Trans is a symptom of cluster B. When and if the trans fever breaks, that will be one symptom that has gone away. The problem will not be solved. We're trying to get deeper underneath this, but I want to show you that because this is is hard. This is horrifying. And this week, this past week, I don't know. I'll tell you what my gut feels, and it's conflicted. It feels to me, I'm not sure of this, but it feels to me that we're reaching some kind of critical point. I don't know if it's a turning point. I don't know if it's the peak. Um, I've thought that many times before, so I no longer make those predictions. Um, I have seen things, and you have seen things, that we never thought would actually be possible in a human society. So I'm not making predictions anymore. But shit is hitting the fan, folks. California. Assembly Bill 957, co-sponsored by that pervert Scott Weiner, state senator of California, is changing the definition of child abuse. I'm going to put this on your screen. You won't be able to read it. I'm going to read it for you. This is the section of California law that talks about what a court must consider before removing a child from the parent's custody. It's the child abuse section of the law. Let me read it to you. In making a determination of the best interests of the child in a proceeding described in section blah, blah, the court shall, among any other factors it finds relevant and consistent with with section blah, blah, consider all of the following. The health, safety, and welfare of the child. Here, listeners, is the new language. 
As used in this paragraph, the health, safety, and welfare of the child includes a parent's affirmation of the child's gender identity. Do you understand what has happened here? They have made in this bill, by definition, if this bill passes, and it almost certainly will, almost certainly will be signed into law. They have defined child abuse as failing to trans your child. Plainly and literally, not an exaggeration, not hyperbole. They are coming for your kids. They, they are coming for your kids. And if you are a parent who doesn't want that to happen, they will see you jailed. They've already done it. Or they'll see you dead. And I'm not being hyperbolic about that either. A lot of these people would like you dead if you don't agree with them. That's cluster B. Not all cluster Bs. <laughs> okay. Seattle, of course, Washington State. This story comes from the New York Post. It's about a spa, a Korean spa owned by a man. Okay, I want you to remember that. This is a man trying to stand up for his female customers. Okay? This is the Olympus spa you're seeing on your screen which is probably going to be shut down now. From the New York Post, a Washington judge has ordered a women-only spa to accept transgender women who still have penises, even though all of its customers are naked. Seattle District Court Judge Barbara Jacobs Rothstein on Monday upheld a discrimination ruling against Olympus Spa filed by local trans activist Haven Wilvich. The traditional Korean spa... Uh, oh, I, I guess you're seeing Haven. Um, you're, you're seeing Haven on your screen now. I'm going to bring that back to when I'm done. Um, uh, ruling against uh, Olymp Olympus Spa by local trans activist Haven Wilbich, who claims to be, quote, more women than many feminists who are only incidental. The traditional Korean spa has maintained that its women-only rule is essential for the safety, legal protection, and well-being of our customers. Ooh, I'm getting a hot flash. Ooh, you see how angry this makes me? And also this building is overheated. Um, it willingly accepted transgender women, but, quote, only if they've gone through post-operative sex confirmation surgery, the ruling noted. Wilvich, however, identifies as a woman, but is biologically male and has not undergone sex reassignment surgery, the court papers said, noting that Spa never had a record of the activists ever actually going there. I didn't even bring anything to blot with. Hmm. Okay. So would you like to see the principles involved in this case? Here is Judge Barbara Rothstein. Take a look at the expression on her face. Keep it in your mind. Okay. Got it in your mind? Let's go back to Haven Wilvich, please, Kevin. Take a look at the expression on the face. Okay. This is the smug, smirking, challenging Cluster B look. Both of them have it. That's saying, I got you and fuck you. That's what that is. That's cluster B, and it's at the malignant end of the spectrum. Here's what Haven had to say about Haven's self. Quote, I'm more woman than any TERF, trans-exclusionary radical feminist, will ever be because I'm an intentional woman, whereas they are only incidental. Next quote. I did it, 
Wilvich had posted at the time, celebrating getting, quote, the main naked lady spa in the area to change their policies and allow all self-identified women access, regardless of surgery and genitals. Don't be surprised when this guy rapes or beats some woman. Don't be surprised. So how did the judge justify her ruling? Quote, in her ruling, Rothstein noted how the Washington State Human Rights Commission defines sexual orientation as including those whose, quote, gender identity, self-image, appearance, behavior, or expression is different from that traditionally associated with the sex assigned to that person at birth, end quote. This is how they do it. This is what we've been talking about, we original recipe gay people. How they have redefined sexual orientation to include gender identity, which is merely the claim that I am a sex different from the one that I am. But that's just like being gay, right? So if they discriminate against the gays, they're also discriminating against the people who are just like the gays. This is how we've been used. And gay people, lesbians, gay men, we let this happen. We let it happen. We let it in. Now, we see what we've reaped from sowing the idea that psychotic, unstable lunacy that is transgenderism is just like being gay or straight. It's just a different way of being in the world. This is the harvest of the crop the former gay community planted a long time ago. Are you loving it as much as I am? Now, the human rights campaign the largest so-called gay advocacy organization in the world. It is not a gay advocacy organization. It is a narcissistic, um, it's just a den of vipers. The HRC is the biggest LGBTQ extortion racket under the sun. That's what it is. It's the most powerful nonprofit forcing compliance on companies that they seem to th these companies seem to think that they need to earn the HRC's good boy badge for their employee policies. I don't know why they believe they need to earn this badge, but they do. They believe it just like they need um, ESG credits, environmental social governance policies that uh, big investing firms like BlackRock are forcing publicly traded companies to adhere to. Um, this, this, you know, boot on the face pressure, you're going to be hard left. You're going to be hard left. You don't get to do business. It's the same thing. So to get a good, if you're an employer and you wanted a good boy badge from the human rights uh, campaign in 2022, if you're an employer, you had to do these things. We'll put it on your screen. I'll read a couple of them for you. The 2022 criteria, transgender inclusive healthcare benefits, 10 points possible for the employer. The employer can earn 10 points. To secure full credits for benefits criteria, benefit must be explicitly affirmed in contract documentation and available to all benefits eligible U.S. employees in areas where more than blah, 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 blah. So this is what you need. Baseline coverage must include mental health benefits, pharmaceutical coverage, e.g. hormone replacement therapies, coverage for medical visits or laboratory services, coverage for reconstructive surgical procedures related to gender reassignment, including reconstructive chest, breast, and genital procedures, and short-term medical leave. I'm going to leave off commenting on how this is all misleading. It's not hormone replacement, and none of this is reconstructive. It is destructive. But I want you to see how the ratchet tightens year by year. Click. Here we are in 2023. A lot more requirements for your good boy badge. 
this year, you got to do this. 25 points are possible. You got to earn 25 points to get a perfect score. So in addition to the things from before, now you also have to include pharmaceutical coverage, including puberty blockers for youth. Let that sink in. Yes, what that means is these companies have to pledge that they will, they will support poisoning children with drugs that start them on the sterilization process in order to be considered a good boy employee for the human rights campaign. Uh, here, here, here's more that they've added. At least five of the following essential services and treatments have to be available. Hair removal, such as electrolysis, laser treatment, hair removal required for reconstructive surgery, tracheal shave reduction. You know what that is? That's chopping off the Adam's apple on some big goon man's throat so he doesn't have to wear as many turtlenecks and stupid scarves. <laughs> Facial feminization surgeries. Yes, this level of cosmetic grotesquerie is now required to be a good boy for HRC. Voice modification surgery. Voice modification therapy. Lipoplasty filling for body masculization or feminization and travel and lodging expenses. <laughs> and, you know, I've seen people online ask this question, who pays for all this? Who the hell do you think pays for it, Jimmy? You do, as a taxpayer through Medicaid and as a rate payer and a customer with insurance companies. You pay it in your premiums. You pay for it, sir and ma'am. So now companies are forced to approve of puberty blockers for children to endorse child abuse to satisfy the Aztec gods at the human rights campaign. But they're not forced, are they? They're not. They're doing this willingly. So stop it. Stand up and say no. Don't earn your good boy badge. Guess what else HRC is up to? Just this week, they've declared their first national LGBTQ state of emergency. Sounds serious, doesn't it? For this, let's go to CNN. For the first time in its four-decade history, America's largest lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer civil rights organization has declared a national state of emergency for members of the LGBTQ plus community. And here's a quote from HRC. LGBTQ plus Americans are living in a state of emergency. The multiplying threats facing millions in our community are not just perceived, they are real, tangible, and dangerous, the group's president, Kelly Robinson, said. In many cases, they are resulting in violence against LGBTQ plus people. That's a lie. Forcing families to uproot their lives and flee their homes in search of safer states. That is also a lie and triggering a tidal wave of increased homophobia and transphobia that puts the safety of each and every one of us at risk, you goddamn liars. Quote, alongside the emergency declaration, the group will release a digital guidebook, including health and safety resources, a summary of state-by-state -state laws, quote, know your rights information, and resources to, uh, designed to support LGBTQ plus travelers and those living in hostile states. That sounds kind of hot, actually. You know how I've said that modern progressives are trying to costume play actual historical struggles for justice by like blacks and gay people because they've never been involved with anything of, of real historical importance? This is a great example of it. 
This travel book that HRC is putting out is a ripoff of something called The Green Book, which was first published in 1936 by a black author. That book was an actual travel guide for black people who were motoring through the United States and had to go through segregated states, and it was actually necessary to show them safe places to be. In 1936, this was necessary. This is what they're co-opting. This is the costume play. They're acting as though gay people and other assorted freaks are in danger, and they need a book to tell them how to travel. Well, why are they in danger? <laughs> Here we go. Quote, the human rights campaign just last month issued an updated travel notice for Florida outlining potential impacts of six bills recently passed there, many already signed by GOP Governor Ron DeSantis, a Republican contender for president who's championed don't say gay and pronoun bills. Oh, CNN. Notice how CNN is still lying. And they're not even lying by omission. They're lying directly. The don't say gay bill said no such thing. It's not true. It wasn't ever true. It's still not true. I've read the bill. You can read the bill. They've read the bill. They know it isn't true. There's nothing in that bill that says don't say gay. Do you know what that bill actually did? Let me remind you. That bill that passed in Florida did not mention the word gay at all or straight. It certainly did not say you may not say gay. What it did was it barred public schools from instructing kindergartners, age five, through grade three, age eight, from receiving instruction in sexuality or gender identity. That's what it did. That's all it did. You can't teach kindergartners through third graders about sexual identity and gender identity and sex education. When did that become controversial? When did that become a far-right Trumper point of view? How did that become the don't say gay bill? Do you see how these people lie? This is why I, this is another reason I won't have any truck with silent liberals or liberals who will privately say, oh, I don't agree with that. Yeah, well, fuck you. Open your mouth and do something about it then. Because there are a lot of liberals and progressives out there who know goddamn well that what I'm saying is true. It's not that it's true because I've said it. Millions, not millions, but many people and many, many people more prominent than me have been screaming about this for years and putting the evidence in front of their faces. And I've seen these people. Some of them used to be my friends. They'll see this stuff and they won't say anything. They won't say, oh, I was wrong. I didn't realize that I was misled. They just won't. Just pretend they don't know. You know, in the final analysis, it hardly matters whether the people we're talking about who are pushing this shit are actually the fully clinically personality disordered narcissists or if they're subclinical or if they're just cult members. In the final analysis, it doesn't matter because they're all doing the same thing. They're all pulling for the same wicked team. And I'm going to say something before the break here that I said on Substack. You should definitely check out our Substack, disaffectedpod.substack.com. I want to remind people what transing children really is. It's rape. In fact, it's worse than mere rape. Hold on. Don't, don't get angry yet. Listen. Hear me out. It is a permanent rape. It is a rape of the child's mind, body, and spirit 
It is literally a bloody rape. It cuts them open. It involves scalpels and it involves chemical poison. It removes their sex organs. It poisons them with the same drugs that we use to prevent convicted rapists from getting erections. And it sterilizes those children permanently because almost all of them who go on puberty blockers go on to cross-sex hormones and cross-sex hormones cause sterility. That is not temporary loss of fertility. That is sterility. By definition, sterility is permanent. This is a permanent, thoroughgoing rape of children. And it is a rape that lasts for the rest of their lives and can never be undone. Again, reminder, please sign up on Rumble for our exclusives. Make an account, rumble slash C slash disaffected. We'll see you out to close the show. Can't get enough of our love, baby? That's because you're not subscribed. Move that thumb over to the great big old subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. We put out audio-only exclusive content that you won't get on any other video platform, so make sure you subscribe today. Looking for a non-woke place to put your money where your mouth is? Put it where my mouth is. Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more. And all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options. Either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com, or go over to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access. Welcome back. Euphemisms. We adopt euphemisms way too quickly. All of us do it. Um, I don't know what it would be like if we could travel back in time to, I don't know, the 1930s, the 1940s. Language does change. And euphemisms are part of linguistic change. But as, as linguist Steven Pinker correctly notes. He calls this the euphemism treadmill. And it is a treadmill. Euphemisms are always circular. It's a hamster wheel. There's nothing ever, they, they don't go anywhere. So what happens is we have a word for something, something that we find unpleasant or suboptimal. Take death, for example. We don't like to say death. So we say passed away or to my increasing irritation, I'm hearing white northerners over the past five years go to not just passed away, passed. She passed. She passed. It's, it's, it's incredible. I never heard that except from southern black people. In the past five years, northern white people, she passed, she passed, she passed, she passed. I hate these euphemisms. Because on a treadmill, as soon as the original negative or suboptimal connotations catch up psychologically in our minds and start to attach themselves to the specific phonemes, the words that we're using, then we have another euphemism. So past will not be okay. It'll have to be something else. Departed, maybe. Um, this has happened with so-called 
no, I'm not going to give the euphemism first. I'm not going to prime your mind that way because I see this. I see people adopting this almost universally. This is not woke people do it and anti-woke people don't do it. No, everyone does it. Y'all are doing it. Listen to me. I just yalled you. Isn't that ridiculous? Doctor-assisted suicide. Say it again with me. Say it with me. Doctor-assisted suicide. That is what it is. It is not made. Canada's uh, medical legal euphemism. Medical assistance and dying. Otherwise known as made. Made. Why the hell do you think they chose that? To obscure what it really is, to make it sound like what it really isn't, right? And this does not matter whether you approve of doctor-assisted suicide or whether I do. That is not what we're not debating that here. I'm, we can do that on another show, but that's not the topic. The topic is honesty. Medical assistance in dying. Look at Canada. Yes, this is a tweet, but yes, I also confirmed the veracity of this tweet. I looked at the numbers. It is true. It's from a man named Daniel. And he says, it's insane that, um, and there's an error here, I'm going to correct it. It's insane that 3.3% of Canadians killed themselves last year using medically assisted suicides. That was unfortunately worded. He didn't mean it that way. It's not that 3.3% of the Canadian population killed itself last year. It's that of the deaths that occurred in Canada last year, of those deaths, 3.3% of them were from made, made. Now, I don't know how that stacks up to numbers in the United States or in places that have already gone further into this, like the Netherlands. So it's, it's hard to put that into context, but that number has been rising. I'll give you full disclosure. I'm not going to get into the big philosophical discussion about it. Uh, perhaps I'll do that topic on another show. I used to be a supporter of, of doctor-assisted suicide. I have been with people who are dying uh, of cancer, of AIDS, of extraordinarily painful conditions. And I was at one point convinced that the only way to ease their suffering to an acceptable level was to go all the way, right? And that anybody should have this choice. I no longer support physician-assisted suicide, not because I don't believe that people should have the liberty to do what they want. I still have a very wide libertarian streak. It's not people doing what they want. It's doctors doing it. I no longer trust doctors. I don't trust nurses. I don't trust the medical institution. And I don't think any reasonable person should trust them. Uh, we are already seeing in Canada how they are expanding this so that people who a 23-year-old diabetic, we heard this story about four or five months ago, uh, depressed, lost vision in one of his eyes, I think because of the untreated diabetes, didn't have a job, got accepted for the MADE program, MADE. I don't believe, I, I haven't heard further, I don't believe it actually went through. But this is why I don't trust it, okay? I also have been many times in situations where a person was dying, and on hospice care, and on a whole lot of morphine, Haldol, and Ativan. And I know that private families, in private discussions, in intimate times, 
make decisions about how much medicine a person needs in order to stay comfortable in a painful death, and that sometimes that amount of medicine means they die a little more quickly than they would have otherwise. That's how I'd like it to stay. <sighs> so my, my request to you, listeners, stop yourself from adopting new euphemisms. Make a mental note to take note of new language. Don't just automatically adopt it. Almost everyone does it. I've caught myself doing it too. When you do this, you're doing public relations for people who are often doing evil. You're helping them, affirmatively helping them. You don't mean to. I know. I'm not accusing anyone of bad intentions. And, and when I adopt these euphemisms, I'm helping them too. I don't, I don't ask anybody. I know I'm, I'm, I'm known as the harsh commentator, um, and that's fine uh, because I, I think we need more of it. Um, but if I am harsh, and I often am, I am no harsher when I speak to you, to the audience, to people who are listening, than I am to myself. I hold myself to these standards too. That doesn't mean I always live up to them. I am human and, and a hypocrite and a failure in many ways myself too. But I am not asking anyone who listens to me to do anything that I don't believe I also have the responsibility to do. It's not made, it's doctor-administered suicide. It's not even assisted, it's administered. I think I missed something that I wanted to point out to you in this tweet here. Let me look down at the bottom. Uh, Twitter's added something. I think they call it community notes where uh, people can correct misinformation. Um, <laughs> I hate the fact that the word misinformation uh, has been tainted so much. This, what Twitter's doing now is a much better system. Um, it's not Twitter central coming down and saying, no, no, this is misinformation because it doesn't go with the woke left agenda. It's actually... Uh, com uh, it is an actual user ground-up response where people point out things that simply are not factual. It seems to be working much better. But the, the readers that added context to this said, listen to this carefully. 3.3% of deaths in Canada were via MAID, medical assistance in dying, which is different than 3.3% of Canadians killing themselves. Well, yes, it is different from... You know, 3% three, 3 of the population isn't killing itself every day. But I, off, I, I wonder, are they trying to suggest that this is not, like, this is somehow better because it's not um, suicide classic, right? Where it's, you know, just all by yourself. It, 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 it's weird. It's weird. It's through MAID. MAID makes it okay. All right. I've talked before about the extraordinary cultural rupture between generations that happens where my generation meets millennials. This is the old man yells at clouds part. I've got that out of the way, right? Um, this is not just old man yells at clouds. It isn't. And I'm going to show you how it isn't. I'm, I wasn't making it up when I've said before that there was a common culture shared by most Americans, even across generations, even though, even though, yes, the young generations in some senses always rebel in some ways against the older ones. The extreme is unlike anything that has happened in American history. This is from, 
the Substack blog of Mary Harrington. She's worth a read. She calls herself the reactionary feminist. Um, in, I, I don't know if she would use these words to describe herself, but in some ways she's at least a quasi-reformed feminist. Uh, she has noticed what's been wrong with the Kant and the dogma. It's a really good article she wrote called Devour Me, Mummy. And it gets to the root of this. There's a harder cultural jump between my generation, Generation X, and Millennials and Gen Z. Now, Millennials and Gen Z are not identical, but they are closer together to each other culturally than either of them are to my generation. Um, it's not merely that, that it's different. It, it's, it, as they would say, this is way, way extra. I share a common culture, common cultural touchstones, um, movies, films, hell, even the number of channels that used to be on the television set. I share a fairly common culture with my parents' generation, who are the baby boomers, and with my grandparents' generation, who is called the silent generation. Not identical, but we live in the same cultural world. It goes off a cliff after my generation. Complete rupture. Mary discusses in her article a new survey from the Cato Institute. She says this, quote, uh, and, and the, the question here is about how many people would approve of the idea of government-installed cameras inside private citizens' homes? Mary says, strikingly, though, the figures were markedly different among the 18 to 30-year-old cohort. Here, three in 10 support the installation of surveillance cameras in the home. Next quote from Mary. She's referring to a book she wrote. In Feminism Against Progress, I've called this nexus the devouring mother, borrowing from the Jungian archetype of the mother who nourishes herself by consuming her own children. The Cato Report speculates that the shift is generational, noting that the over 45s have a markedly different attitude to surveillance and suggesting that this is likely connected to the growing prioritization of safety over freedom within younger demographics. Oh, yeah, it is. So let's take a look at one graphic from Cato here. It's a pie chart, and it says, three in four Americans oppose installing government surveillance in all homes. It is terrifying to me that it is not 99 out of 100, because there's always going to be one freak. But apparently there are 25 freaks. So here's the question that they ask their survey respondents. Would you favor or oppose the government installing surveillance cameras in every household to reduce domestic violence, abuse, and other illegal activity? <laughs> so 75% oppose, 14% favor, and 10% don't know. <laughs> well, I don't know if I want to go to the bathroom privately or not. I don't know. I am an undecided surveillance voter. <laughs> don't you sometimes just want to take people by their little necks? <laughs> but it gets very interesting when we break it down generationally. And this chart is going to show you that I haven't been bullshitting you. Look at it. 
Uh, another graphic from the Cato Institute. Three in ten Americans support government surveillance in every household to reduce abuse and crime. You've got a chart here, okay? We're going to go by age range. The number who support this intrusive measure. 65 plus, the so-called silent generation, only 5% of them support this. 55 to 64, the baby boom generation, 6% support this. 45 to 54%, Gen X, that's my generation, 6%. So 6, 6, and 5. This is my illustration to you of the common culture that I share with the two prior generations. Oh, but look what happens when we get to the millennials, 30 to 44. Jumps from my generation's approval rate of 6% up to 20% for millennials. But look what happens with Gen Z, 29% in the 18 to 29. Look at that chart, look at that jump. That cliff is right there. It's right there in red ink. I rest my case. The kids are not okay. And they are not to be trusted. Yeah, I mean it. I wouldn't trust these people to to spit on me and put out a fire. I wouldn't turn my back on any of them. Yeah, I realize it's only three in 10, but how am I to know the difference? awfully big minority, isn't it? And we know what vocal safety-oriented minorities can do with cultural power. We know this. We've seen it these past seven years. This generation is dangerous. It's not their fault. They've been failed. They were not raised. They were not parented. They were programmed and indoctrinated. But they are dangerous, and they are fundamentally opposed to the philosophical and legal underpinnings of the idea of America itself. They don't value it. They hate it. You've been warned. So what you're looking at on your screen is a screenshot from the movie The Midwitch Cuckoos. You Americans know the American remake called Village of the Damned. The story is that it's originally a British story about a town named Midwich and cuckoos, meaning brood parasites that come in and displace the young with their own and trick the mothers into raising them. Um, These were aliens, of course, in the movie. But that's what it feels like. There's a Substack writer named Tessa Lena, and I highly recommend her. Her Substack blog is called Tessa Fights Robots. She wrote this this week. Quote, I see it everywhere. The standards are in the toilet. Nobody has the energy to care. The delivery people don't look you in the eye. They just throw stuff on the floor and hurry off. Younger cashiers also often don't look you in the eye, and they don't respond to greetings. Oh, you thought it was just me, right? Just cranky old man Josh. Yeah, it's just me. No, it's not. Quote, packages get destroyed, stolen, and lost. Tracking doesn't work. Censorship algorithms are a black box that you can't argue with. Asking people to think is perceived as an arrogant insult or a personal attack. Thinking is, in fact, snotty. And have you seen those stay-away damaged teens on the train with empty, mentally challenged eyes where I personally would think twice before I say anything that may piss them off because I'm not sure what they may do in response? They have been damaged perhaps irreparably. They are not there can't reach. So many people you just can't reach. Thank you, Tessa, for seeing it and for saying it. Thank you for being a noticer. This is why this is why 
I have made the decision that I, I won't tolerate people who are disconnected from reality in my life anymore. That, and I've lost almost everybody now. It continues to happen. Almost everybody I used to know and love. Nothing is more important to me now than living in the truth. Even if that means that I have to be alone and friendless, I will take that. I cannot tolerate the decline of this society, but more than that, I cannot tolerate the people who claim that it isn't happening. They are disconnected from reality. It's not a difference of opinion. They're delusional. I was delusional. I believed a lot of this stuff until about six years ago. I know the mindset because it was mine as well. And I know that people can change. And to the point that they change and they see it and they say, oh my God, I was wrong. Oh my God, of course. Come break bread with us. Come sit at my table. Because that was me too. But if you're going to deny it, if you're going to say that it's a right-wing conspiracy, and if you're going to look around in the world and tell me that everything's fine and that you believe the children are our future and that this is just grumpy old people who don't want to adapt to change, there's, there's no talking to people like this anymore. There just isn't. And, and I would say to you listening, think, think hard about your interactions with people like this. I'm not telling you how to live your life. I'm not telling you who to be friends with or who to cut off friendships with. But think really hard about who you can trust. Do you think that you can trust people like this? Do you imagine that people who can look out at the world and say everything is just as fine as it was 30 years ago, do you really believe they'd have your back? Or do you think it might be a little more true that if you turned your back on them, they'd stick a knife in. That's the show. We'll see you next week.